Hi everyone, you are tuning in to Learn FM. My name is Lian Tan, and I invite you to join me on a learning adventure through this podcast, where we discuss topics related to learning, growth, personal development, and more. I hope that you are able to digest the information that we'll be sharing and start applying some simple tips and tricks into your daily life. And don't forget to share your learnings with others, because when we learn together, we grow together. I highly recommend that you take time off screen to listen to this, or even go outside for a walk. Of course, please be mindful of your surroundings and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by DSM. DSM is a global, purpose-led company in health, nutrition, and bioscience, applying science to improve the health of people, animals, and the planet. DSM's purpose is to create brighter lives for all. In this episode, we will be talking about mental health and well-being. Now, this might be a confronting episode, so listen to this episode with an open mind. We will be discussing topics like depression and suicide, so please seek professional help if you do need support. What is mental health? We all have mental health, just as we all have physical health. Both change throughout our lives, and like our bodies, our minds can become unwell. The World Health Organization describes mental health as a state of well-being in which every individual realizes their own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to their community. Although I've always been a rather optimistic person, there are moments in my life where I can definitely say that I was not in a good state of well-being and was suffering. It was only recently that I learned that those moments were actually me going through depression. I had no idea back then, and I'm sure many of us out there do not really know much about mental health because there is still a lot of stigma and misunderstanding behind this in the society and in the workplace. Which is why it is so important for us to increase awareness of mental health, so that we can start breaking the silence and stigma on it. I am really proud to introduce our special guest today, Jeff McDonald, who is a global advocate, campaigner, and consultant who is passionate about addressing the stigma of mental ill health in the workplaces. Prior to this, he was the global VP of Human Resources for Unilever. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing or feeling today? Welcome to this episode. Thanks, Lian, and I'm very energized to tell you the truth. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you around this whole subject of well-being and mental health. Yeah, I'm really, really passionate to talk to you about this topic as well. But before we dive in there, I have some icebreaker questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Where is your favorite place in the world? A village in South Africa, a little fishing village called Hermanus, which is on the Cape Coast. I go back there every year for a month or so. It's my happy place in the world. Wow, really nice to hear this. And how would your family describe you in one word or phrase? A whirlwind. A whirlwind. That's something different. And who inspires you the most? Nelson Mandela. Beautiful. And. One of the best advice anyone has ever given you. Make time for your wellness, because if you don't, you might one day be forced to make time for your illness. 
Ooh, I just got chills listening to this. So I'm definitely gonna take note of this quote for sure. So let's talk a little bit about yourself. You know, you're here today because you are so passionate about this topic. But how and why are you so passionate about this topic of mental health and well-being? Yeah, Lian. You know, it it all stems back to my own personal experience and lived experience of mental ill health. So back in 2008, I got very, very ill with anxiety-fueled depression. And at that time, I was doing a very big job in Unilever. I was the global vice president of HR for our home care business around the Unilever world. And one night, I woke up with a massive panic attack. And uh, that was, I suppose, the last straw that broke the camel's back, which resulted in me going and seeing a doctor the next day and being diagnosed with anxiety-fueled depression. I had to take three months off work because I just couldn't be at work for three months. And um, when I left the doctor's rooms, I made a decision that saved my life. And the decision I made after being diagnosed by the doctor with anxiety-fueled depression was I refused to be burdened by the stigma that is associated with mental ill health. And that decision, the reason that decision saved my life is because that meant I could go home and I could tell my daughters, my wife, my close friends, and my colleagues what was wrong with me. So I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to say that I'm now struggling with bilharzia or glandular fever and I can't be at work. I've been diagnosed with anxiety-fueled depression. And the reason that decision saved my life is because every single person who knew about my illness, do you know what they gave me in my darkest, darkest moments while I was trying to recover? And I had very dark moments during my recovery. But what I experienced from all of those people who knew about my illness was the most wonderful outpouring of the most powerful emotion in the world. And that emotion is called love. Jennifer Rush, the power of love. That's a very brave decision for you to not be burdened by the stigma associated with mental health. How did that impact you? Just knowing that I had a 10-year-old, I had a 13-year-old, I had a wife, I had a line manager, I had a friend who loved me. That kept me going in my darkest, darkest moments, together with a sense of hope. I used to meet with a guy who was a colleague of mine every 10 days. And he had been admitted to hospital with manic depression two years prior to my illness. And, you know, I used to meet with him every 10 days, Leanne, and I saw he was better. Do you know what he gave me? He gave me hope. He gave me that little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that I could get through this and I could get better. And, yes, I did. I slowly recovered. I went back into Unilever. Um, 2010, I had a bit of a relapse. Nothing as bad as 2008. And then in October of 2012, I lost a very good friend to suicide. He was an alpha male. There's no ways he could talk about his mental and emotional struggles. He was burdened by the stigma. He couldn't experience the love and the sense of hope that I had experienced. And instead, he died by suicide. And you know, Leanne, I I, I lay in bed that night and the night he died. And I just thought to myself, that's not fair. That is not fair. Here I am four years after my own crucible moment in life, flourishing in many ways, and my friend is dead. And I came to a very simple conclusion. And the conclusion I came to was that stigma had just killed my friend. 
And that was the catalyst. That was the catalyst that led me to then co-lead a piece of work in Unilever around addressing stigma. And then I left Unilever middle of 2014 to go out into the world and try and create workplaces, family groups, friendship groups, where people can just feel comfortable about putting their hand up and just asking for some help if they are struggling with a common form of mental ill health. We do it if we're physically ill, if we've got a common physical illness, we'll put our hand up and ask for help. Why don't we do the same if we are struggling mentally and emotionally? And I suppose that was the catalyst, the loss of my friend, the realization that stigma had killed me, and the injustice, the injustice that exists in the world, and it's worth fighting against that injustice. Thank you so much for sharing this story, Jeff. It's really, really beautiful and very inspiring. You talk a lot about the stigma behind mental health. Can you describe what it is? If I were to describe that stigma, it's one of people feeling ashamed. It's one of fear in big and in workplaces. It's one of a fear that if somebody knew that I was struggling of mental ill health, I would people would think that I can't do my job, I'm not up to it, it would mean that it's career limiting. So I think think the stigma is around fear, it's around shame, it's around embarrassment, which we don't feel embarrassed and ashamed if we've got a broken leg or if we've got glandular fever. Somebody once said to me once, they said, what did you need to be depressed about? you got a good job, you got a happy family, you got a lovely home. You know, what, what did you need to be depressed about? People don't ask me, what do you need to be diabetic about? What do you need to be glandular fevered about? You know, what do you need to be flued about or COVID about? People don't ask those questions. And so I think the stigma is fear, shame, embarrassment, People thinking that you are weak, you can't take the heat in the kitchen. I think those are some of the characteristics that would describe the stigma around mental. And it's not that there's something wrong with you or you're weak or you're strong. Something's just happened to you, just like you might get COVID. Indeed. And I think in one of your podcasts or a few episodes I heard that you mentioned that we also should shift the narrative around the word resilient. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, I'm trying to get a message out there, which is, you know, none of us are tough. None of us are weak. None of us are strong. We're just human beings. We are all human beings. And you know what's so beautiful about us being human beings? We're all unique. We're all different. We all have different tolerance levels when it comes to stress, pressure, the kinds of things that get thrown at us. That's what makes me a human being. It doesn't make me weak or strong because my tolerance level might be a bit lower than yours. And so I much prefer the word resourcefulness to the word resilience. So how do we teach young kids at school, at university, in workplaces, how do we teach them to be more resourceful? and to use the resources that are out there to manage in this very complex world that we are living in, in this anxious world that we are living in. 
How do we teach people to be more resourceful rather than resilient? Because resilient is just working against everything I'm trying to do. It just conjures up, you've got some people who are tough and you've got other people who are weak. And it, that's not the case. We're just all beautiful, unique human beings. And we should value our uniqueness. I really agree with this. You stressing about how we are human beings actually reminds me of the quote from Dalai Lama, we are human beings, not human doings. I know we sometimes, I mean, I sometimes say, we are not human doings. We are human beings, as you say. You know, human doings are wanting to do stuff all the time. Whereas human beings, we should learn, as you say, to take time out to just be and be and to reflect and to value who we are and how unique we all are. And, you know, you've been in this work for a couple of years now. What have you seen change in the field? You know, what have you noticed that has been moving in the right direction? Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I started this journey back in 2013. So, you know, we're almost eight or nine years I've been on this journey a year and a half within Unilever and then leaving Unilever. And um, COVID, in many ways, has done more to address the stigma of mental ill health than I could have done in the last eight or nine years. And let me tell you why. Because I think the pandemic has democratized mental ill health. Coming back to what I was saying earlier, none of us have been immune from some of the psychological effects of COVID. And so whether you're a CEO, whether you're a CFO, whether you're in India, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in the US, I mean, we've all been impacted. And so the whole, the whole conversation of mental health has percolated to the top. Having said that, I often describe our progress as being at base camp when it comes to climbing Everest. So we kind of at base camp, we've put the tents down at base camp, but we've still got a long, long way to get to the top of Everest. I would say in small, medium-sized business, entrepreneurial type businesses, I mean, they haven't got the resources like a DSM or a Unilever or a Linklaters or a HSBC have got to go after this particular issue. So I think in larger corporates, we're making some good progress in certain countries around the world. But I think the whole small, medium-sized entrepreneurial sector, there's still lots and lots of work to be done in normalizing the conversation around mental ill health. I totally agree. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done in normalizing the conversation around mental ill health. It really still throws me off when I hear people around me who have been through lockdown restrictions during COVID saying things like, oh, that person couldn't deal with the pressure of COVID restrictions. They're so weak. As a mother-to-be, I really hope my child can come into a world that is much kinder to everyone, especially those who need support on their mental health. And you're doing a great job, by the way, by having me on this podcast and contributing to it. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, you also mentioned about why mental health and well-being is so important. Let's shift the narrative over to why this should be important in the workplace. Why should organizations focus on this as a strategic priority? Yeah, you know, Leanne, I mean, one of the biggest insights that I've had on my journey over the last eight years, probably one of the biggest insights, has been the following. 
the most limiting resource that I see in workplaces, irrespective of the sector that I'm working in, irrespective of where in the world I might be working, the most limiting resource I see is the energy of people. People are frazzled. You know, they can't wait for a Friday afternoon and they kind of detest a Monday morning. Now, I would suggest that the most important enabler to my performance, your performance, is your energy. You know, I often used to reflect on being in HR and you're doing a lot of recruitment and you get down to the last two candidates for a job and they've both got the same skills, the same knowledge, the same experience. They've, they've been at uni with all good results. And you have to choose which of those two am I going to bring into the organization. And you tend to make that decision on the basis of the passion, the attitude, and the energy that they bring. So I think that energy and the energy of our people and our teams is the most important enabler of performance. And you know where we get our energy from? Our well-being. We cannot feel energized if we are not healthy. And when I talk about healthy, I'm not just talking about physical health. And I use the word well-being as a more holistic description of health. So it's our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, and some people would say your spiritual health. But when we are mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy, we have energy. And you know what? When we've got energy, we can move mountains. Thank you, Jeff. And what have you seen as best-in-class examples of organizations that really do this very well? Are there some companies out there that we can definitely learn from? You know, Leanne, I don't think yet we're at a stage where I think there are companies out there that have done some really good work at addressing stigma. You know, I mean, some of the professional service firms, yourself. I mean, there are organizations out there that are doing some good work in addressing stigma. But I can't put on a pedestal an organization yet, which is truly, I think there are organizations that are beginning to elevate well-being to being a strategic priority. But you know what they're struggling with? They're struggling with, what does that mean? If it were to be a strategic priority, what does that actually mean we would then go and execute? So I think we're seeing it being elevated, but I haven't yet come across an organization that has taken a truly, truly strategic approach in the execution of that priority. I think there's space for people like yourself to lead in that particular area. You know, doing a podcast like this, and as you said, sharing this so that others begin to think, you know what, we want to go after this. We want to, you want to be that citadel of a great employee experience. I often say, imagine having an employee value proposition which says, come and work for DSM. You know why? Because we'll enhance your life. We'll enhance it by coming to work for us. Most workplaces I go into, people's lives are diminished by going to work, not enhanced. And if you don't believe me, read Jeffrey Pfeffer. He's a professor at Stanford University and he's written a book. It's called Dying for the Paycheck. Not thriving for the paycheck, dying for the paycheck. So yeah, we, 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 I think we're still, this is new. This is a big challenge for organizations. Some of them are stepping up to the mark. 
They want to elevate to a more strategic priority in their organizations, but I think they're still struggling with what does that actually look like and what would we do? Thank you. And at DSM, we launched a program this year focusing on well-being and mental health called It's Okay. I personally feel it has been a great launch so far, and we are now at this stage where our managers are actually looking for more resources on how they could support their employees. What would your advice be for them to start having conversations around mental health and well-being in the workplace with their employees? Yeah, you know, I would love us to begin to think about these conversations more within the context of the overall development of an individual versus these conversations where we are kind of on the back foot reacting to, noticing some symptoms and then wondering how do I actually have this conversation around mental or emotional health because I'm a bit worried about Jeff, for example. And I think those conversations will require, when I, you know, I was talking about breaking stigma and the training, I think that's part of the training, is to equip line managers to be able to have the supportive, caring conversation when it's needed. And at the end of the day, I think it's a fairly simple conversation. It's a conversation of active listening, truly actively listening to the person that you're concerned about. And then it's about signposting not trying to be the doctor. It's about signposting. And it's about offering love, support, hope, calming the nerves of the individual. And you as the line manager say, okay, what's going to be your development plan? We as DSM have, have got these resources to enhance your emotional health. We've got these resources to enhance your mental health. I want you to go and use those resources. And in, in a month's time, let's regroup and see what progress you've made. And so it becomes a development conversation. It does. And you call that the future fit development conversations. Yes, I do. A future fit plan. Imagine having a future fit plan. All right. You know, so I've got my career plan. I've got my skill development plan. I might be having a coach to help me with some of my behaviors. And I've got a future fit plan. And you know why? Because when I'm fit, I'm energized. And when I'm energized, I will perform. But I also believe that there has to be individual accountability. I think we all as individuals have got to take greater accountability for investing in the most valuable asset that every single one of us has, and that's our health. There's nothing more valuable in our lives than our well-being, our health. There's nothing more valuable, nothing. But I don't think that individuals, I don't think individuals take their own health and their own well-being seriously enough. And that's why I wanted to be part of the development conversations, because I think that if we can build it into having development conversations, we are encouraging individuals to take on their accountability to invest in and maintain the most valuable asset that they have. Thank you, Jeff. So it's the individual's responsibility. And of course, sometimes managers, they start noticing something is not going well. Do you have some tips for us? You know, what, what are some warning signs or symptoms that we should be looking out for when someone is unwell? One of the most beautiful things about you and I is that we are different. We are unique. The symptoms that I show might be different to the symptoms you show. 
So I can't give a blanket answer to that. But what I can say is I think there's a principle. I think there's a principle that we as line managers, as family members, as friends should bear in mind. If I've been working with you for the last five years, two years, 10 years, I know your normal behavior. If you're my son, my daughter, my friend, I know your normal behavior. I know how you show up every day. Now, if I notice a shift in your normal behavior, and I notice that that shift is persistent over a period of three to four weeks, then it is worth entering the conversation with you. I mean, we all have bad days and we all have good days, all right? And you might have a week where you're just not great. It's a, I don't think it's then ready for me, you know, for me to start asking you some stuff. But if over four weeks, I've just noticed Leanne is just not her normal self. She just isn't. She's not that normal, bubbly, friendly, beautiful smile. You know, I just don't see that in her. That is then worth a conversation. And it's not a conversation with the desk between you and I. It's let's go and have a coffee. And it's a conversation which starts with me as the person who's concerned about you, showing some of my own vulnerability. Because you know what? I'm going to be asking you to be vulnerable. And then finally, I think the role of the line manager at the end of the day, when you've noticed some of that, when you've had some of these conversations, is about active listening. Just knowing that they are talking to somebody who is truly, truly listening to them. Thank you, Jeff. And I think we've come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How do you feel right now? No, I've loved that. So thank you so much for giving me this platform to just advocate my work. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. We learned so much from you today. So here are some highlights from this episode. Number one, let's remove the stigma around mental ill health by normalizing the conversations around it. Number two, we are human beings, not human doings. Number three, If you notice someone is unwell over a period of time, take action to have a conversation of active listening, truly actively listening to the person that you're concerned about. And it's about signposting, not trying to be the doctor. It's about offering love, support, hope, calming the nerves of the individual. Here are some extra tips that you could do to enhance your mental health and well-being. Please know that these tips are not solutions to depression or replacement for seeking professional help. Number one, have a gratitude practice in place. I personally have this in place and I do this on a daily basis. It is also scientifically proven that people who are grateful tend to be happier, more satisfied, have better relationships, easier time making friends, sleep better, suffer less from addiction, depression, are more adaptable at dealing with traumatic events. I would be sharing with you the link of a YouTube scientific animation video by Kotzgesagt in a nutshell, sharing why gratitude is the antidote to dissatisfaction. If you're interested in this video, I'll be sharing the link in the show notes. Now, we can all practice gratitude in different ways. It could be in the morning before you go to bed, thinking of three things you're grateful for, you know, immersing yourself in the gratitude bubble or energy. 
You could also create a positive or gratitude jar that could come in handy when you need to get yourself out of a negative thought spiral. Or you could even start journaling every day. Start simple. Maybe, you know, you can't think of big things right now. It could be as simple as writing down that you were so grateful for this beautiful cup of tea that you had earlier today. The next tip is let's all stop glorifying being busy. We need to prioritize ourselves and find time for self-care. Making time for sleep, for example, is going to make a huge difference if you're not already getting enough sleep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Learn FM. Don't forget to share what you have learned from this podcast with others. Because when we learn together, we grow together.